It is uh, so great to see you all here this morning. And if you're a guest, kind of like Dan and Sarah Beth said just a minute ago, we are so glad you're here. Welcome to Grace Church, the Medina East Campus. If you're back and you haven't been here for a while, welcome back. We're really glad to have you. Uh, my name is Tony, one of the pastors here on staff at Grace. And let me just say from the very beginning, if we've never had a chance to meet, I would love to, uh, to solve that. And so come and meet me after the service in the cafe. I'd love to, uh, to make your acquaintance. I always love hearing how people got to Grace. And so I know you got a lot of family stuff today, but if you can get a moment, uh, grab me afterwards, and I'd love to hear how you got here uh, to Grace. But today, this morning, this Easter Sunday, we are actually finishing a series that we started all the way back at Christmas that we've been calling Jesus Come and See. And basically in the series, what we've been doing is we've actually been tracking the entire life of Jesus. And so we started all the way back at Christmas, and we looked at the birth of Christ, and then we went through his teachings, we went through his life, we looked at his ministry, and now today we're concluding the entire series uh, by looking at the resurrection of Jesus. The way we've been doing this is we've been journeying through the Gospel of Matthew. And the Gospel of Matthew is one of the earliest first century eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus that we have in our possession. And so I just want to encourage you, if you missed any of that series and that sounds interesting to you, it's a really great series, you can actually access the whole thing. Uh, It's on our website, on our app, on our podcast, and that is for free. And so if you're interested in checking that out, you can do that. Like I said, we actually started this thing all the way back in December, kind of at the beginning of of, uh, winter, and now we're concluding. And I got to say that while I'm a little bit sad to see the Gospel of Matthew go, to be done with this series, uh, I am not sad to see the winter go uh, at all. Uh, Anyone else in this room excited about getting some warm weather in Northeast Ohio? All right. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I've actually, so I've actually kind of grown up around Northeast Ohio. I grew up in Akron and and for the most part, pretty much spent my whole life uh, growing up around here. And I've noticed something. I've noticed a trend as it relates to the way that I tend to interact uh, with winter here in Northeast Ohio. And I thought maybe I'd share this with you because my guess is some of you can relate. I actually drew it up on a graph because, you know, that's what people do. So this is a graph that I came up with uh, in the dead of winter because there was nothing else to do. And uh, over here, zero to 10, This represents pretty much kind of like my level of hope, uh, optimism, general sanity in life. That's kind of there. So 10 high, zero is low. And then this is, this is the duration of the winter months. For the most part, these are months that it most likely snows in Ohio, right? So here's what I've noticed. And again, if you grew up around here, you could probably relate with this, that usually when I start uh, in the winter, when like late November, December happens, uh, I usually start pretty high. Like I'm usually feeling pretty good. My outlook on life is, is, is pretty good. My sanity level is, is relatively, you know, well. And, and so I kind of start there. In fact, when it first snows, like in late November, early December, I actually like it. I actually enjoy the first snow. I'm down for a white Christmas. I like a winter's stroll through the woods. It makes me feel like I'm in a Robert Frost poem. I see the beauty in it. Like I enjoy it all. But here's what I noticed that happens is as the winter progresses, um, this just, it's like my level of joy and optimism and sanity begin to decrease quickly. And by the time I get to March, like usually by the beginning of March, like I am just so done. Like, I'm just so done. I, I, I want, I'm getting stir crazy. I'm getting antsy. I'm tired of being cold. And here's what I noticed. And if you, if you grew up around here, you, you know this, is that I find that at this point, I am done with winter, but Ohio is not. And so actually what happens is there's this, this, this part, and I actually go a little crazy during this time, and, and I will do crazy things. And so just a moment of honesty, in this period of the winter, I will actually talk to the weather. 
Anybody else find themselves doing this? So I will go outside and I'll be, I'll be brushing snow off my car and I'll be talking to the snow. And I'll say, nobody likes you, snow. Nobody likes you, winter. I think it's time we see other seasons, right? And so we'll break up. And, and this happens. And it's all really kind of culminates. I hit this low point right here. And this low point, I think all of us know this. This is the point in the winter when I can't even remember. I can't even remember what it's like to be warm. Like I have like these, these faint, distant memories of wearing things like flip-flops and having my windows down in my car but it feels like it was a different life and it was a different world. And that kind of happens here. And what I've noticed is for those of us who, who live around here, we all know that this is what happens in the winter and we all cope with this in different ways. And so for some of us, um, we kind of fall into seasonal depression. I would say that's kind of me. Uh, for others of us, we live in denial of this. And I've seen you, by the way, some of you will come to church in shorts and flip-flops when there's snow on the ground. And I think it's just your rebellion against the winter, right? Uh, Some of you travel to Florida during this time, which you're smarter than all of us. And we all secretly don't like you for that. And um, we all cope with it in different ways. But here's what happens, right? That inevitably, March, April, someone, usually in March, we we get this one day. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's the day when the weather breaks, It's the first beautiful day in Northeast Ohio. And I am telling you, this day right here is the absolute best because it's a day that reminds us that winter is not eternal. This is a day when it gets above 60 degrees, the birds start chirping, the frogs start croaking, your neighbors come outside. Everyone comes outside and you see your neighbors who you haven't seen in half a year. And you're like, oh, I think I remember you, you know? And it's like this incredible thing. And here's what I notice is when this day happens, this wonderful, glorious, blessed, beautiful day, when this happens, I notice that this is what happens to me. It's my optimism and my sanity and my joy. It returns, but it returns even greater than when it first started. I don't think there's anyone on planet earth that enjoys this type of weather than those who have endured a long winter. I think people that have it all year, they don't, they don't know what they got but we know what we got and we love it. Now, inevitably, here's what happens. And we all know how this goes. You get that first beautiful day and it's awesome and everyone's outside. What happens the next day? It snows. It always does this, right? But I noticed something interesting is that even though it snows after this day, I noticed that, that it doesn't affect my attitude. I noticed that now I have a new vision and I can look at the snow differently. And so now when I look at the snow, I look at it and I say, your days are numbered. I look at the snow and I say, where, oh, snow is your sting? Because I know that there will be a day. I have seen the sun. I have seen the sun and I have seen green. And I know I will live in a world where there is sun and there's green once again. Now, why do I tell you that? Why am I talking so much about weather on this Easter Sunday morning? Well, here's here's why I bring it up is because I think all of us in this room understand um, that this life, that in this life, there's a lot in this life that is beautiful and that is praiseworthy. Uh, there, there is so much of this life that, um, that we can rejoice in. There is so much of this life that is so beautiful. But I think all of us, if we're being really honest, know that while this world is a beautiful place and there's beautiful things and there's great hope that we can have in this life, that this world is also a very dark and cold place if we're being really honest. And I, I know that's not like a popular thing to say on Easter Sunday. I know everyone is, you know, everyone is dressed up real nice. One of the things I love about Easter, by the way, is that I get to see all of you. You guys all look so nice. Everyone's so dressed up. Some of you, if you're newer to the church, you're like, is this you guys dressed up? This is us dressed up. This is about as good as it gets right here, right? And I know that all of us are, we're all just trying to present to each other the best version of ourselves. 
But I know that if we were to scratch beneath the surface of any of your lives, and mine too, my guess is that what you're gonna find is that there's real struggle, right? There's, I don't know what's going on in your life. There's real hurt, there's real darkness. This world can be a really cold place. And here's, here's what we know. We know that in this life, what, what's inevitable is that there's gonna be hurt, is that there's gonna be setbacks, there's gonna be pain, and there's gonna be death. There's going to be loss. As far back as we know, and as much as we can remember, this is all we know. This is all we know. This is all we've ever seen in our experience of life. Those who have come before us, our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and so on and so forth, this is life as we know it, that this tends to be the trajectory of the way that life works. There's hurt, there's setbacks, there's pain, and then ultimately it's going to end in the same way. We are all going to face this reality. And here's what I believe. I believe that many of us, many of us, we cope with this in very different ways. So, so some of us, we live in denial of this. We live in a, some of you right now are even upset that I'm bringing it up. You're like, why would you even bring that up on Easter Sunday? I don't wanna think about this. For some of us, I think we're, acute, we're acutely aware of this reality. Some of you have been recently reminded, maybe you've lost someone or you've been diagnosed in some way and it reminded you, and it leads to a great sense of low-grade depression or urgency in this life. For some of us, we try to be optimistic. We try to make the best of it. And so you hear people say things like, oh, death is just a natural part of life. And it's just kind of the circle of life and those type of things. And you know what I I believe? I don't know if anyone actually believes that. I don't know if anyone actually does. I was reminded of this story. Uh, I heard a, a person telling, they were talking about how they were present on an airplane when the engine cut out. And they said there, there was, they were on this plane, the engine cut out and it began to quickly descend towards the ground. And he said that in that moment, the most interesting thing happened. All the passengers were suddenly confronted with their own mortality and they all believed that they were gonna die. And he said that instantly the passengers in the plane cut into two categories of people. There was two categories. He said one category began to just pray fervently. They were like, Jesus, please save us. Jesus, please help us. Jesus, Jesus, please, please. And he said the other category of people, he said, so interesting. They just started to shout the F word. And he said, and it, he said interesting, it wasn't like a variety of profanity. It was just the F word. And so the, the, the plane finally restabilized and came back to cruising you know, altitude or whatever. And it created this really awkward moment for everyone on the plane because like every, all of a sudden you knew something about it. You're like, oh, that's an F word guy. I don't know, you know, that kind of thing. And, but no one, no one was going just a natural part of life. Sometimes you crash and burn and die. Like no one was doing that, right? And all I'm saying is what kind of person are you? What kind of person are you? Turn to your neighbor and tell them what kind of person you are. No, don't, don't do that. I'm just joking, don't do that. It's church, man. You can't say that. And uh, here's my point. My point is that death is coming for all of us. It's coming for all of us. And we all know that that's true. Death is coming for every single one of us. Happy Easter. Very happy. <laughs> and again, some of you are like, dude, why are you telling me this? Here, here's why I'm telling you this. Well, first off, you already know that. You already know that. I already know that. But here, here's the big reason I tell you that. It's because Easter actually speaks to this. And I believe that Easter actually says something very profound about this. I believe that Easter comes and what it says is that while all of us know this and all of us have seen this, and this is all that we've ever known about life, is Easter comes and it basically, I think Easter is this moment right here. And Easter is a moment where the weather breaks. And Easter is a moment where we see something that we didn't previously think was possible. Easter tells us that there is actually more to this story that there's actually more to life. Easter gives us a foretaste of what we previously did not think was possible 
what we didn't think was even a possibility. And it gives us a glimpse of what is to come. And so what I want to do today, what I want to do today is in this Easter 2019, is I actually want to go all the way back to the first Easter. And I want to talk about that first Easter Sunday, because I believe that that first Easter Sunday is not just some stale historical fact and event that happened 2,000 years ago. I believe that first Easter Sunday informs and gives us hope today. I believe that first Easter Sunday is when the weather broke, and it gives us a picture of what's to come. And it gives us hope for how we live even here now today. So let's take a look at this first Easter together. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to join me to Matthew 28. It's where we're going to head uh, this, this morning here as we close out our study in the gospel of Matthew. This is the final chapter, Matthew 28. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, by the way, or you don't have a Bible app on your phone, Page 698 is where you're going to find Matthew 28. So go ahead and find that. And then also let me say that if you don't own a Bible, uh, feel free to take one of ours. Make that a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Uh, Or, and we say this sometimes, if you want a nicer Bible, you can go check the lost and found. There's some nicer Bibles in there. And I'm sort of not kidding. It's getting full. So go over there. Or if you left your Bible here last year at Easter, it's probably over there. So there you go. Zing. All right. Matthew 28, 698. We're starting from verse one. A little context before we break in here. So as many of us know, the Easter story tells us that Jesus was crucified, that he was verified as dead. Uh, he was put into a tomb. And then th- on the third day, the morning of the third day, this is what happens. So notice the Bible says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week. Okay, so let's just kind of pause there for a minute. Many of you know that the Sabbath uh, in the Jewish calendar falls on a Saturday. Uh, the, Jew- the Jewish people would have celebrated Sabbath on the seventh day of the week, which is a Saturday. And so the Bible tells us that this was after the Sabbath on the dawn of the first day of the week. So this is the first Easter Sunday. And the Bible tells us that uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. This is kind of fascinating. When Matthew tells the story of the first Easter, he zooms in on two individuals. Matthew wants us to know that on that first morning that there were two people that were present at the tomb of Jesus. And those two people, the Bible records, were Mary Magdalene and then this other lady who simply called the other Mary. Now, um, I talk about this for a minute. Say a little bit about, some of you might be asking, who, who, were, these, who were these women? And uh, some of you might know the name Mary is actually really popular in the Bible. There's a lot of women named Mary. So the mother of Jesus is named Mary. These Marys, neither of them were Jesus's mom. But these two Marys, who they would have been, is they actually would have been some of Jesus's uh, women disciples. This is something maybe some of you don't know. I think many of us are aware that Jesus had a group of 12 disciples, a designated group of 12 disciples. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus would have had a bunch of other disciples as well. And so there's a lot of people that put their hope and faith and trust in Jesus. And among them would have been a group of women. And uh, these two women would have been disciples of Jesus. They would have put their hope, their faith, and trust in Jesus. They actually played a very integral role in Jesus's ministry, the Bible tells us. Now, interestingly, we don't know a ton about the other Mary. Uh, The only thing we really know about her uh, from history and from the Bible is that she was the mother of two guys named James and Joseph. So that's about all we know about her. We know she was a disciple of Jesus and that she was the mom of these two guys. But Mary Magdalene, we actually know a fair amount about this woman. The Bible actually talks about her 12 times. She is referred to 12 times throughout the Gospels. Interestingly, that is more than most of the other disciples besides Peter, James, and John. 
Mary Magdalene is mentioned quite a bit. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who have tried to fill in the details about who this woman is. And so maybe you've seen there's movies that have come out about Mary. There's actually a movie that just recently came out about Mary Magdalene um, where uh, Joaquin Phoenix plays Jesus. Did you guys see this or not? I think that fact alone shows you how, uh, how historically validating that movie is going to be. When, when the same guy that plays Jesus plays Joker, like, I'm not sure that's a great thing. So anyway, people are always trying to fill in the details about this woman. We don't know a ton about her, but here's what we do know. We know that according to Luke chapter eight, that she uh, met Jesus and she was healed by Jesus. And so the Bible tells us that she would have had seven demons. Now, I'm not even entirely sure what that means, but the Bible said that was her condition. And Jesus came, Jesus would have healed her. Jesus would have liberated her. And the Bible tells us that she would have put her faith in Christ. She would have been transformed by Christ and she would have started to follow him. She would have dedicated her life to it. Now, what's interesting is these two women, the Bible are gonna, is going to tell us, these women were so dedicated to Jesus. They were so dedicated to him that they followed him all the way through the events of his crucifixion and his burial. In fact, I want you to notice something. Uh, if you just glance back at chapter 27, just the chapter before chapter 28, Look what the Bible tells us. This is uh, in verse 55. It's talking about the crucifixion. And it says, many women were there watching the crucifixion from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Now, I think this is pretty significant because the Bible tells us that a bunch of Jesus' disciples would have abandoned him in this moment. But the Bible tells us that these two women didn't that these women, they would have stuck by Jesus' side, that they actually would have witnessed and they would have seen the events of the crucifixion. They would have watched him beaten and mocked and ultimately crucified. They would have seen it. And then the Bible tells us, look at this in verse 61, that when Jesus was being buried in the tomb, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite of the tomb. So you get this, right? These women were just following the events. They watched Jesus crucified. They watched Jesus pronounced dead. They watched him put into a tomb. And so it's no surprise to us then in that first Easter morning, who are the two women that are there? And the Bible tells us the two women that were there were Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Now, here's why I think is so interesting and so important, is I want you to notice the Bible tells us the reason why they were there. Why were they there? Well, the Bible says the reason they were there was to look at the tomb. The other gospels help us fill in some details. The reason they were there was to put spices on the body of Jesus. And why is that important? Well, here's why. Because that was actually an ancient custom of mourning. And here's what I want you to understand. These women were not there to witness a resurrected Jesus. They were there to mourn a dead Jesus. And this is so significant, and I'll tell you why. Because all throughout the gospels, and if you've been with us in this series, you've seen this, Jesus again and again and again told his disciples in explicit detail what was going to happen to him. And so Jesus told his disciples, you take them to the site. He said, you guys, we're going down to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be arrested. I'm going to be beaten, flogged, mocked, crucified. And then on the third day, I'm gonna rise from the dead. Jesus told his disciples this several times. And what's so fascinating is that everything happened the way he said. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was crucified, and now it's the third day. And I want you to notice, who is at the tomb on the third day? You don't see a group of disciples standing around going, 10, 9, 8, like, he's risen! That's not what's, none of that. They're nowhere. And the only people who are there are these two women, and they are not there to find a resurrected Jesus. They are there to find a dead Jesus and to mourn him. And why? Why? Why did no one listen to him? And I'll tell you why. The reason they didn't listen to him is because just like you and just like me, 
These people had no category for a resurrection of the dead. There was just no place in there. They've never seen anything like this before. And they thought it was outside of the realm of possibility. They probably just thought that Jesus was talking and they just, you know, maybe it was a metaphor. Jesus is always saying stuff they didn't understand. They're like, I don't know what he means by that. Sometimes he calls himself bread. I don't know, right? (laughs) And so he's gonna raise from the dead. But the Bible says it there to mourn because here's the thing. These two Marys and the disciples, here here would have been their experience. They would have put their hope and their faith in Jesus. They would have believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They would have heard Jesus say things like, if you follow me, I'll give you eternal life. And they would have put their trust in him, but then they would have seen that Jesus was arrested and they would have witnessed him being beaten and crucified. They would have seen him die. And then they would have seen him buried. And when Jesus died, my guess is all their hope died too. All of their trust and all their faith of what they believed Jesus to be was suddenly put to death. And my guess is that those women went there to mourn that morning. And that was probably the last time that they were gonna say their final goodbyes to Jesus. And then they were gonna go home and figure out how to do life from this point forward. They probably were gonna try to figure out how to cope. And can I just tell you that for so many people, and maybe even for so many of you, this right here is our perception of life, is maybe your perception. For so many people, this is the vision of what it means to be human. What does it mean to be human? It means to be born, and it means to go through life and experience some beauty, but to ultimately experience hurt, setbacks, pain, and death, and that life is really just trying to cope with this, that we all just need to cope because this is what life is. And for so many people, this is the vision of what it means to be human. But you see, Easter comes in, and and in this moment, when Mary, these two Marys are at the tomb, and they're mourning the loss of Jesus for the very first time in the history of humanity, the weather breaks, and all of a sudden, they see something that no one planned to see. Look what happens in verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, don't be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. So get this, the women are there to mourn, but the Bible says when they get there, there's this earthquake and there's this angel and this angel looks like lightning and has clothes that are as white as snow. And the Bible says that when the guards saw it, remember these are Roman soldiers, by the way, these are guys who are trained for battle. These are guys who would have been in terrifying situations. And the Bible says that when they, when they take one look at these angels that they're so afraid that they fall comatose. And why is that? I'll tell you why that is, because just like you and just like me, they had no category for this type of stuff, no category for the supernatural. And the angel shows up and he said to the women, don't be afraid because you're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. But look at this. He is not here. He is risen just like he said. And when God says something, it's going to happen. Just like he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee where you will see him. Now I have told you. So the angel says, go and tell the other guys you're gonna see Jesus because Jesus is in Galilee. He has risen from the dead. So look at this. The Bible says the women hurried away from the tomb and they were afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. I love this, by the way. I've been thinking about this all week. I love that Matthew decides to tell us 
the emotion that these women must have been felting in this moment, feeling in this moment. The Bible says that these women were afraid, they were terrified, and yet at the very same time, they were full of joy. Some of you guys have translations that say they were full of great joy. Literally in the Greek, it's megas joy. It's where we get mega from. I just thought about that. Can you think of a time in your life when you've experienced both of those emotions at the same time? Terror. And at the same time, insurmountable joy. Have you ever felt that before? I think what the Bible's trying to describe to us is this moment right here. I think it's trying to describe, describe to us an explosion of emotion. I think this is a true paradigm shift. This is a moment when everything that they thought about reality was suddenly challenged. When everything that they previously thought was permanent and not possible is suddenly shattered. And so the Bible says that they ran to tell the dudes and as they ran, they were full of this joy, but also this terror because of this paradigm shift that was going on in their hearts. There is something about reality that is different. And I love this. The Bible says that as they ran, and notice this next thing, maybe one of the best sentences in all the Bible. As they ran, check this out, verse nine, suddenly Jesus met them. So here you have it. This is, this is Matthew's first account of the resurrected Jesus, the first time we see him raised. And the first person, that, the first people he shows himself to, according to Matthew, is these two women. And Jesus is going to speak to them. But before we look at what Jesus says, I wanna ask you a question real quick. So um, I've been thinking about this a little bit this week. If you rose from the dead, let's just say you rose from the dead, and you were gonna appear to someone and you were gonna say something, what would be the first thing you would wanna say after you rose from the dead? I don't know about you. I was just thinking about this. I don't know about you, but if I rose from the dead, which I, I never have before, but if I did, I, would, I think I would want to say something pretty, like I wouldn't put some thought into it. I probably want to say something pretty epic, right? So if I rose from the dead, I would want to like get up in front of all you guys and I'd want to be like, behold, I am risen, you know, or something, or at least something fun, like something like, uh, ta-da, or like something, but so watch. So Jesus raised the dead. What does Jesus say? Look here, first recorded words of the resurrection. Greetings. <laughs> Greetings. This, by the way, is the most standard way to greet someone in this time. So basically, Jesus is like, hi. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, just defeated death. <laughs> All right, so greetings. They came in, the Bible says they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. This is actually pretty significant, by the way. The fact that they clasped his feet tells us that the resurrection is not just a metaphor. It's a physical reality. It actually happened. And so Jesus looked at them as they worshiped him and Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is exactly what happens. And what the Bible is going to tell us and what history is gonna tell us is that from this point forward for the next 40 days, the resurrected Jesus is going to appear not just to the women, but also to his disciples and also to a group of over 500 people at the same time. The resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ are some of the most historically well-established facts in all of antiquity. I'm telling you, if you've never looked into it, it's unbelievable, the evidence, the external evidences for the appearance of the resurrected Jesus. 
And what history tells us and what the Bible tells us is that these same disciples, the same disciples who ran in fear, who would have abandoned Jesus when he would have died, these same disciples who were mourning Jesus's death, the Bible tells us that after experiencing these resurrection appearances, that they would have went boldly back into the very same leadership that crucified Jesus and they would testify that Christ has risen from the dead, many of them to their own peril. And I'm saying... What in the world changed in these disciples that would cause them to go from cowering in fear to facing death to tell people that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And here's, here's what it is. I'll tell you what it is. They saw something. The weather broke. And they witnessed something about reality that told them that death does not have the final say. And they dedicated their life to telling everybody about it. And let me just say this, for those of us who follow Jesus in this room, and I know there's many of us who would fall into that camp. We are followers of Christ. I think it's so essential that we understand that the resurrection of Jesus is in so many ways the centerpiece of our faith. If, if you take away the resurrection of Christ, our entire faith crumbles. Because what it means to be a Christian is it means to do something kind of crazy. It means to do this. It means that we adopt a vision of the world that says that death does not have the final say. It means that we adopt a vision of the world that says while death happens, while hurt happens, while pain happens, while setbacks occur, those things ultimately will not last. That we can look at death and say, where, O oh, death, is your sting? Because we have seen the weather break. And we can point to a day where we said, we know what's coming because we've seen something that we didn't previously think was possible. Death does not have the final say. And for those of us who follow Jesus, what that means is it means we can love when we're hurt. It means that we can forgive in the midst of pain. And it means that we can rejoice in the midst of death. Why? Because we've seen something. There is a down payment of what is to come and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we'll live in a life again where death doesn't finally win. This is real stuff. I was talking to a friend. There's a friend uh, of ours that's part of our church. He lost his dad last night. And this morning, um, some of our team were talking to him. And, you know, we were obviously giving our condolences. And he, he said to us, he said, you know what? You know, we're mourning for us. He said, but we're not mourning for him. He said, listen, if Easter didn't happen, then we would have no hope. He said, but we, we've seen. We've seen the resurrection of Jesus. And we know what hope is to come. I love the way Josh McDowell puts it. Josh McDowell said it this way. He said, no matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments, and troubles are, they're only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. And why is that? Because we've seen something and the weather has broken and winter is not eternal. Death will not always win. And one day we'll be restored to what Jesus has called us into, into this new life. Now, here's what I know. I know there's a bunch of us in here who follow Jesus and that's our hope. And that's what we come to celebrate. He has risen. He has risen from the dead. But I also know that there are some of you in this room today who maybe aren't followers of Jesus. Some of you are, uh, maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you were uh, investigating Jesus. Maybe someone uh, dragged you here today, invited you here today. There's a fine line between invited and dragged. Uh, maybe for you, you are a person who's loosely religious, but Jesus has really not been a considerable force in your life, quite honestly. And you might be asking the question, why, why would it be reasonable for me to believe in the resurrection? And can I just tell you, uh, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, that if you're a person that's a skeptic or you're investigating Christ, we count it an honor that you would let us be part of that investigation. You could do anything you want with your Sunday morning, and we don't take it lightly that you're here. 
But can I just tell you that I think that there's good reason for you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And the first one is just real simply this, is because of the unbelievable external evidences for a historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have time to get into this, but if you genuinely are looking for answers to this question, I wanna point you to a couple of resources that I think are very helpful. Uh, one is called The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel. The other one is called The Sun Rises by William Lane Craig. And what these do is in a very compelling way, they outline the external historical evidences for a resurrection of Jesus Christ, a literal bodily historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I I just wanna tell you, I don't think it is unreasonable for you to believe that that occurred. I would encourage you to read these books. Um, Like I said, we don't have time to get into all of the details, but I will say that this book right here, The Case for Easter, I think we have about 100 copies that are back behind the information uh, on the Welcome uh, Center. Grab one for free, take it home, read it. It's just really great stuff. Unbelievable external resources. But like I said, we don't have time to get into all that, but let me just say one reason why I believe, I think it's very reasonable for you to believe in a resurrection. And, and this is a little bit, it's gonna sound kind of weird, but I actually think that one of the reasons why it's very reasonable is not just because of the external evidences. I think a big reason is because of the internal um, evidence. What do you mean by that? Well, he, here's what I mean by that. I have a theory. I have a theory. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Catch me afterwards and tell me I'm wrong. But my theory is that if you're a person who is investigating Jesus or is skeptical about Jesus, or you're apprehensive about the whole thing, that beneath that apprehension and beneath that skepticism and beneath that investigation, that there is a suspicion. There's a suspicion that there is something about all of this that is true and that is real. And I don't know how to say it any better than that, but my guess is that you already know this somehow. Because here's what I believe. I believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is stamped and ingrained inside of the human heart. I think it is put inside of nature itself. And I think it's almost like a moth to the flame. There is something in you that is just drawn to Jesus. And and I can't explain it any better than that. I know that sounds ethereal. It might sound kind of artsy to some of you. It might sound kind of abstract. So let me see if I can say it a different way. Try it this way. My son and I, I have have four kids. My eight-year-old son and I were going for a walk. This was a couple months ago. It was snowing out. We were going on a winter's walk through one of the parks here in Medina. And as we were walking, my son asked me, he said, what's your favorite season? He said, Dad, what's your favorite season? And we were talking about it. And of course, his is summer, which is naturally true for, I think, most of us, right, summer. But he said, what's your favorite season? I said, quite honestly, buddy. I said, you know what? I prefer the warmer ones. Like, absolutely. I said, but I actually kind of like them all. So I sort of like them all. I actually enjoy that we get to be, you know, bear witness and experience all the seasons. And he looked at me like I was kind of crazy. And he's like, why? And I said, uh, I said, well, honestly, the reason I like it so much, buddy, is because I feel like we get to experience and we get to see the story that God keeps telling us on repeat. And my son, my son looked at me like I was crazy again. He's like, what story, what story are you talking about? And I said, well, let me, let me see if you can, see if you can tell me what story. Sometimes this sounds familiar to you. I said, so in the summer, everything comes alive and it grows and it's green and it's beautiful and there's light and there's life. I said, and everything feels so free. You don't have to wear a coat. There's no school. My son's like, amen, you know? I said, it's almost like your soul longs for, you love it. I said, but then, then there's a fall. There's a fall. I said, and everything that was alive begins to age and decay and die. I said, everything um, gets colder and darker. We do daylight savings and it gets dark at like four. I said, and that, that happens. I said, and then winter comes. 
I said, in winter, we all know winter. Winter is dark and it's bleak. And you go outside, you can't hear anything. You can't hear frogs. You can't hear birds. You can't hear anything. Everything is buried. Everything is dead and buried underneath the snow and underneath the ground. I said, it's a, it's a bleak and it can be a very difficult time to get through. Like the NFL playoffs began and the Browns are never in it, right? And the Steelers usually are. It's like the worst evil imaginable. And, you try, and just when you think, just when you think that it's going to be winter forever, all of a sudden you get the day and the weather breaks and the birds chirp and everything that was dead and frozen underneath starts to arise in new life. Everything that was buried comes up again in new life. And I looked at my son. I said, now you tell me, son, eight years old. I said, you tell me, does that sound familiar to you? And my eight-year-old son looks eight years old. He looks at me, he goes, dad, I know that story. I said, yeah, what is it, buddy? He goes, that's frozen. <laughs> I said, so I'm disappointed in you. So many ways right now. No, I didn't. I said, I, actually, I said, you know what, buddy? I said, that is kind of, I said, that is the storyline of Frozen. I said, let me tell you, I said, Disney, Disney didn't create that story. I said, Disney stole that story. I said, because that story is Jesus Christ. And it, it's almost like, it's almost like there is an invisible God who is trying to communicate to his people. There is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. And almost like every year, he keeps telling us the same story on repeat. You were born for this. You were born for hope. It's almost like Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. It's almost like God did that on purpose. It's almost like he did it on purpose. You know what I think is interesting? I think that you already believe in a resurrection because it's the story we see all around us. And you know what? I believe that you believe in a resurrection because it's the story we keep telling each other. Did you ever notice this? Did you ever notice that whenever we tap into our creativity, the story that we keep telling is the story of a resurrection? Look at the movies that we go and see. Did you ever notice this? Look at it. Look at the movies that we spend billions of dollars to go and watch. I'm not talking about the RT movies that make like a dollar at the, you know, at the box office. I'm talking about the blockbusters. Did you ever notice the story we keep telling each other? Give you some examples. You guys remember back in the 90s, big blockbuster just broke the box. Matrix came out, right? Matrix is a great movie. And in that movie, what's the story? It's the story. It's the story of people who think that the world is one way. It's a relatively good place. But then they find out that actually the world is not what you thought, that there's an incredible deception called the Matrix. And everybody needs to be saved from it because the Matrix always takes everybody down. But then there arises a character, Neo. And Neo, everyone thinks, is the one. He is the one who is going to liberate us from the matrix. He is going to set us free. But what happens to Neo? Do you guys remember? He dies because Agent Smith always wins. Because the matrix got him. The system beat him. And what happens to everybody happens to Neo. But then in a plot twist that no one was expecting, but all of us knew was going to happen, Neo rises from the dead. He rises from the dead and he emerges victorious with greater power and with greater authority to liberate his people. That's why when we watch this, you guys know the scene. Remember when Neo comes back from the dead? He comes back from the dead and he stands up and the agent Smith is over there and they all get their guns out and start shooting at him and he just puts his hand up like this. You remember this? this is the greatest scene. He puts his hand up like this and he just goes, bullets all stop. And he just goes, no. 
and all the bullets drop to the ground and all of us cheer and we get chills and we spend billions of dollars to tell ourselves this story. Why is that? Well, it has stamped all over it. Jesus Christ. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, what's the story? Little Harry and his buddies live in a world where there is a great evil named Voldemort. Voldemort happens to also be a snake. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And what happens? Well, eventually what happens is that little Harry, how does he defeat the evil in the world? Everyone thinks that he's the one. Everyone thinks that he's going to defeat Voldemort, but eventually Voldemort kills him. He dies. Everyone chants, Harry Potter is dead. But then in the plot twist, Harry Potter comes alive and he sets all of his people free. Does that sound familiar? It's really interesting. They were um, a long time ago when that movie first came out, when the books first came out, Christians were protesting that and boycotting it because they said it had like, you know, witchcraft in it and stuff. But it's interesting because they interviewed J.K. Rowling and they asked her, where did you get that plot line? And you know what she said in that interview? Surprise, Jesus Christ. She said, it's Jesus. And it has Christian themes all throughout it. Black Panther just came out this last year. If you haven't seen it, I don't want to ruin the plot line for you, but um, (laughs) just saying, man, you can tell me and I can tell. Why do we keep telling each other this story? Why is it that we keep tap? Whenever we tap into our creativity, this is what comes out every single time. Why do we spend billions of dollars a year on this? And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why, because it's not just a story. It's, it's, it's the story. It's your story. God has stamped it inside of your humanity. He has imprinted it into creation because it's true, because it's real. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. And as the band makes their way up here, I wanna just end by addressing three audiences and then we'll pray and we'll be done. And here they are, audience number one. If you're a person who's a skeptic or you're investigating Jesus or you're, you know, you're still trying to figure it all out, like I said, we just we count it such a privilege that you would let us be part of that. But can I just encourage you in this, that if below your investigation and below your, your, your skepticism, there is a suspicion that there's more to this, that somewhere in your heart, you know, you just know that there's something about Jesus Christ and you're not sure what it is and you have your questions and you have your apprehensions and that's fine. But somewhere in your heart, you're like, I need to get to the bottom of this. Can I just encourage you, don't keep putting it on the back burner. For some of you, that's what you've been doing. You've been like, I know there's something to Jesus, but not right now, not right now. I'll get around to it later. I'll wait till I'm sick. I'll wait till it's time, but I'm just gonna keep putting it. Let me just encourage you, please don't do that. Don't let it be another year before you're back investigating Christ. I would encourage you to get down to the bottom of it. Read some of those books that we talked about. We wanna resource you and help you. I would encourage you to join us. Next weekend, we're starting a brand new series called Patterns That Change Us. It's all about how does real change occur through the power of Jesus Christ? What does it truly mean to follow Jesus? I would encourage you to come. You can come and you can just investigate with us. Encourage you to do that. Audience number two, some of you have been investigating with us. You've been through this whole series. You have come and seen Jesus and you've been on the fence trying to figure out what you believe about him, but now you've seen. You've seen his life. You've seen his teachings. You've seen his death. You've seen his resurrection. And what I would ask you this morning is, what is keeping you from putting a stake in the ground and putting your faith in Christ? Man, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you to do that. And maybe for you, it's the investigation is over. And it's time to say, man, my faith is in Christ. I'm gonna follow him. And maybe for you this morning, it is a stake in the ground moment and you commit your life to following Jesus. And then for those of us who follow Jesus, well, this is it. 
right? The, the resurrection is everything. This is where we put our hope and our faith and our trust that Jesus Christ loved us enough to die for us and he's strong enough to raise from the dead and defeat Satan, sin, and death forever. We have seen the winter break. And so because of that, we can celebrate even in the midst of loss and hurt and pain and and death, we can rejoice because we know what's to come. And so I would encourage you as we get a chance to worship and sing, to sing loud and sing proud because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Let's pray. But Jesus, I just wanna say thank you that you did indeed rise. Thank you that you've put it inside of our hearts that like a moth to the flame, we are drawn to the resurrection. And I pray, Jesus, that even right now, you would make yourself very real. Maybe to some who are in this room who are full of guilt and shame, I pray you would replace that with joy because you've raised, because you've defeated Satan, sin, and death. And so, Father, I pray that even as we have a chance right now to worship and sing, that we'd worship with our hearts and all of our souls. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.